pushed the door and said, hey, come here for a minute. And that's when he turned and said, what the f*** going to do about it? And slammed my door shut on me. Slammed the door shut? Yes. So you're trying to get out, he slams the door shut. Yes. And? I, again, taken aback because I've never been trapped in my car. I use my door to try and push him back and yell at him to get back. And again, he just pushed the door shut and just stares at me. So you're staring each other down? Yeah, he stares at me. He's like almost over top of me. You know, he looked like he was trying to intimidate me. And as I look back at him, all of a sudden, punches start flying. He, he threw the first punch? Yes. He threw the first one and hit me in the uh, left side of my face. Because, you know, some of the witnesses have said that they saw you trying to pull him into the car. That would be against every training ever taught to any law enforcement officer. Didn't happen. No, it did not. How to detect a lie. That America is a place where all things are possible. That is some group of people, thousands. Described as a demon. I hate you, naturally. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible. Welcome to Profane Faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Well, friends, welcome back to Profane Faith. Hope you are all doing well. You know, in this episode, we are going to go in with the whole law enforcement being a cop. And what does that actually look like in the line of faith and the line of theology and religion? Um, My guest uh, today and well, this evening or whenever you listening uh is a friend of mine that i met through a mutual friend of ours april diaz which i should probably get her on the show too um is mark skiles um and mark came to me really at a place uh where he was really you know ready to you know talk about issues of race and prison industrial complex and what does it mean to be a white male and privileged and what does it mean to actually live in that and still have faith and still make a difference and so it was interesting just to see that because i think stereotypically when you know you meet somebody like mark you think oh man this guy you know he you know he's a white guy buzzed haircut i mean of course he's not going to be somebody who's sympathetic to black lives matter he's not going to be somebody who is understanding of you know people of color their oppressive you know journey you know throughout the united states and you know he wasn't always like that and what i've appreciated and and admired most about mark is that he's willing to make those hard things i mean he's he those hard decisions and he's one of those folks who is wrestling and i think there's a lot of great theology within wrestling and not the physical wwe wwf i see i know some of you out there already thinking about that and going through that i'm talking about theological religious wrestling what do we hold in tension what doesn't add up what doesn't make sense what have we been told that is supposed to be that isn't like think about that like right like what have we been told like you know, it should be this way when you are a Christian, right? Like, okay, go fast and then God will speak to you and things will make sense. But what happens when you do that and it doesn't? And I appreciate that Mark is someone who is wrestling with that. Um, he is has been in and out of the whole law enforcement system, so he knows it. I wanted to have Mark on because he has insider views uh of what the prison industrial complex looks like what the probation uh environment looks like and just really how the system works i'm finding that so many people just don't know how the system works we've watched all these law shows and cops and robbers movies and we think oh this is how you know this is how uh it's supposed to work and in reality no it doesn't it doesn't work out that way and it doesn't come together like that and 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 a lot of times I think we can easily get confused with uh, um, what's reality, right? What really happens and then what is just really made up and make believe. And so I wanted to have Mark on to kind of dispel some of those myths and some of those arenas that don't quite add up. Um, 
And Mark, I'm going to have him continue. I'm going to have him come back. We're going to have him come back. But I wanted to get him on and to, to have the conversation in regards to faith, God, and law and what those things look like. Uh, Mark is putting it together, a plan of trying to figure out, because he really does feel called to engaging with the whole law enforcement environment and the prison industrial complex as it relates to race. Um, lights went on for him right around Trayvon Martin, um, and things are making sense for him. They're clicking. Uh, but that means it puts him on the outs, right? That whole code of blue and you know that brotherhood within law enforcement, that stuff is real. Now, here's the thing. I know there may be some of you out there listening, you know, who are in law enforcement right now um, and who are involved with, you know, you know, being you're, you're a good cop. You know, let's just let's just be honest. There, there are great cops out there uh, and I'm not against law enforcement. I'm not taking a hard stance that, you know, I, I, I think there's a place for that. But what we've seen in the system that has been created within law enforcement right now uh, is not working. It's just not. And uh, nor is it an environment that I that I would that I would well one that I would enter into or one that is very friendly to me, including those who are African-American police officers involved in that system. And so, yeah, you can push back on that with me. I'm fine. But I hopefully you can sit around for this conversation and listen a little bit um, as to what is happening and what's going on. Um so let's check this out. Now, I will say this at the beginning. For those of you who have sensitive ears and King James Version sensitive ears, uh, you know, <laughs> there, there is some language in here. I mean, it's not bad, but I know for some of you, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, they said hell. And that's just so wrong. Man, I'm going to do a whole episode on language and stuff, man. Uh, but for those of you who are listening and maybe if there's some kids around, um, you know, you might want to, you know, cover ears or send them away. I mean, like I said, it's not bad, but, you know, we we get down to it. So I just wanted to give you that head up before we get in so here's mark and my conversation brother mark yes sir thank you for joining us happy to do it all it's right been a long time coming yes it has yes it has um i think we met through a mutual friend right april diaz is that correct that's correct she uh if, if memory serves me correctly she she put me onto you along with a couple other people because i was trying to get out of uh law enforcement community ah uh, yes well we'll get to we'll get to some law enforcement I stuff figured that. I figured that. in a second so for the folks who are out there listening they're like man who is this guy man so who are you what do you do now what got you to where you're at now well, that's a lot of questions wrapped okay so right now i am a stay-at-home father prior to that as of june 28th 2017 i was in the law enforcement community specifically probation and even more specifically uh, with something called intensive probation supervision. Okay. Cops will laugh at that. Probation officers may or may not laugh at that. doesn't really matter, but that was the deal. Okay. Uh, long story short, I worked with high-risk felons, or quote-unquote high-risk felons. Yeah, through a host of things, whether it was surveillance, whether it was uh, searches, things of that nature. So, as far as what got me there, um, that's an even longer story, but for the sake of time and purpose... Uh, I'm a late bloomer in life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got you. So I went to school late. I went to, I got my degree late. Uh, I went in the Marine Corps a little bit late. I'm bouncing all over the place. But at the end of the day, what, what I ended up doing was trying to recapture what I thought I had in the Marine Corps. I wanted that back. Okay. So I thought maybe law enforcement might might afford me that. And what was it in the Marine Corps specifically that was that that that, that got you that what that you wanted to recreate? A uh, sense of camaraderie uh a unified kind of mission okay. type of thing all right uh people that had gone through the same experience blowing up stuff shooting <laughs> stuff i mean that stuff's fun uh all the way yeah. up until you really got to do it then uh then that's different but yeah i think the whole thing was is in my head i always wanted to be in infantry okay um i didn't have to and that's what i wanted to do because i felt like that was that was where it was at Okay. And I wanted to recapture some of that, uh, for lack of a better term, superhero complex. Like, this yeah, felt okay. like something yeah. bigger. I wanted a life mission. And yeah. to defend something felt like a pretty good life mission. Mm, to defend something. Man, that's deep. That's deep. Um, that was unintentional. No. <laughs> I take it, brother. I take it. Um, 
Okay, so I want to come back. And I'm going to put a postmark on that. All I would right. love, I mean, for folks who don't, how did you end up in this spot? Because when I met you, you were more like, man, I need to talk with somebody. I knew, right. you know, you were you were in a different spot. But, like, where were you at, like, 9-11? I bring up 9-11 a lot on the show because I think so much changed after 9-11. That's and, funny. You know, so where were you at around that? Where was your mentality? What was your faith journey? 2001. Yes, sir. Uh, I got out of 9-11. So I had to do some quick math on that one. So 2000, 2001, I would have been 29, somewhere around there. Okay. I got out of the Marine Corps in 99. And so personally, there was some, uh, there was some relational strife there. Um, and I think also, too, yeah, I, 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 I can't speak for the whole military community in that regard. But as for me, my, my blood got to going. Uh, my knee-jerk response was to re-enlist, mm. or at least consider it. Okay. Uh, I considered it and then reconsidered it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's that's kind of where that came from. Um, and then uh, my my short-term memory's waning on me a little bit. What what was the second part to that question? Well, just your faith journey in general. I okay. mean, you you know what what did that look like? I mean, I'll I'll put it out there. Hope it's not putting too much, but I, you know your your wife she's a pastor. Fact. And so I'm just wondering, like, what has gotten you to where you're at right now, just spiritually, theologically. Uh, mine, mine is a sordid relationship with Jesus. <laughs> All right, uh, tell me about that. I'll, I'll say this: that um, I would say that it is a very honest one, and usually wrought with uh, my, my quote unquote prayer life, aka just me talking with God. Uh, usually involves a lot of questions and a lot of bad words. <laughs> um, All right, all right. We're with that. It is a. It's a. It's a semi-trusting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what I know to be true is that uh, in '99, I was yeah. born in '72, so in '99 there were some life circumstances that I created that uh, were not good. I got an invitation to come out here mm-hmm. uh, to Illinois. Um, I did. I lived on a dude's couch uh, in his little tiny apartment with him and his wife and his four-month-old kid. Shout out Dan Lavalia. All right, all right. Um, for probably almost a year and he was a pastor and that to me was where it started becoming more real because up until that point i was like yeah i don't i don't need this hmm hmm and so uh that's just from my own upbringing again i think that's a different thing but for a host of reasons that lifestyle wasn't one i wanted to become yeah involved in um i got kicked out of the church Mm, that, all right. That Dan was a youth pastor. All right. Yeah, kicking out of the church. That's uh, that's good. This is ads. Oh yeah, I'm sure that adds. <laughs> uh, in my defense, I don't really feel like I did anything. My, I, he asked me if I would be willing to help out or volunteer at the youth, uh, the the high school department there. I said I would. I said I don't really feel like I have a lot to offer and what to do. Mm-hmm. I can tell you a whole lot of what not to do. Okay. Because I I feel a pretty good poster child for that piece. Okay. So I'm not going to know your Bible verses. I'm not going to know any of that stuff. But I can tell you through my own life experience, I can tell you what not to do. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I did that. So <laughs> um, apparently the elders didn't appreciate that. And so, yeah, I got kind of ambushed in that regard, as did he. And they're like, yeah, you got to go. I'm like, all right. That's great. <laughs> so... Right. um. He ended up, he actually ended up quitting uh, for that reason. Uh, in retrospect, I'm like, that's 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 grown up move right there. So hmm. uh, that's been my relationship, kind of with with him and with with God. Yeah, more questions than answers. Okay. Uh, faith is hard for me. Okay. And I know he loves me, and I know I love him, and if. If he knows everything, then he knows how questioning I am, and I'm 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 hoping he's good with it. <laughs> I, I I don't yeah no I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with questions. I think questions are a natural part of a good healthy faith journey. What um, what are some of those questions? I'm curious. <sighs> Man, I fancy myself probably a bit of a control freak. So why don't I get some of the things that I work for? There's this this there's this uh, there's that there's 
I feel like kind of the stereotypical questions like, why does that happen to this person? Why doesn't it happen to this person? If you're mm-hmm. an all-loving God, blah, blah, blah. Like, Yeah. Um, there's some of that. There's some of the, why do you just let shitty people run your church? Why? <laughs> why? Yeah. How is this person even even an authority in this? Like, um, and I'm I'm just a walking double standard of what like, you know you you, it, it, I kind of lost my train of thought on that piece. But as as far as like, all right, um, I trust God, but I don't trust the people that you put to lead his church, which means I probably don't trust God at that point. And then there's this whole just rabbit hole. I let my mental and spiritual peace go through. Yeah. All right. And then that just starts wreaking havoc on like, are you who you say you are? Because you got a lot of messed up people running this show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think those are, are, I mean, at least for me, I mean, those have been, uh, those are continuing questions that I have. Sure. I mean, I think in, in this era that we find ourselves in with, you know, a president, if that's what you want to call him, uh, is in charge that now considers himself to be a Christian and you have, you know, 81% of white evangelicals that voted for him um, and consider him to be this, who was it who came out, I think Falwell, or who was the focus on the family guy that came out and said, oh, he's a, we, you know, he's a baby Christian and he checks out. He gave him the big thumbs up and stuff. And so I think those are some, some genuine questions of like, what does this, what does this look like? I'm just talking about also from a church standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> Not just from a president who says he's a Christian, but right. also from the people that, like, but you run a church, or you are, you're a pastor. Yeah, and you're still just a shit human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's. Uh, I mean, I, yes, yes. So there's there's some of that. You asked about kind of the journey into like. So for me, the end game was always going to be either a federal agent or it was going to be. Uh, um, a municipality or, or a state somehow is going to be in the the law enforcement community and so i had the resume for it in my opinion um a college degree speak spanish pretty well uh marine corps infantry couple deployments like that should check all the boxes i passed most uh, i passed all of their tests with the exception of apparently whatever it is that wasn't going to get me hired the turn for me ended up happening after uh, looking back at it now. What I what I think happened, and I won't know on this side, but I'm wondering if I got a front row seat to something that would have destroyed me. Hmm. In what sense? What do you mean? Probation. Okay. So as a probation officer, specifically mine, it was a 24-hour day, seven-day a week, 365-day-a-year program. So if you got on my caseload, that means the only other option for you was DOC, Department of Corrections. And so with that, you gave up a ton of rights. You're on, mm. you are on, uh, you're on electronic monitoring or GPS. Electronic monitoring tells me whether you are at a place or not at a place. GPS tells me where specifically you are. Mm-hmm. So electronic monitoring says, okay, sorry, you're going to be a, a bad guy now. Uh, Dr. Hodge is at his house or in range or he's out of range. Okay. GPS says like he's at the the quickie mark. Okay. Uh-huh. So you got drug testing. You wave bye-bye to all of your Fourth Amendment rights, which means without probable cause and without reasonable suspicion, I can come toss your house. I can search you. I can search your car. I don't need any reason I can just come violate that. Hmm. So you don't... And then I have to testify. So I... I there's a lot more to it, but basically it's kind of like incarceration, but at your house, but not home arrest, but a lot of stringent things. Mm-hmm. All this to say that I got a front row seat because I worked oftentimes in concert with law enforcement to include federal, okay. to include state, to include local. Yeah. Um, I got a front row seat to all of that stuff, being out in the communities, being out in neighborhoods. Um. And that's why I say, like, cops will be like, oh, so you just basically held hands and hugged people and said, like, oh, it's going to be okay. I didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Those are some grouchy-ass cops as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but what I'm going to yeah. say is, is, yes, I didn't do your job, but yeah. I got enough of a flavor for it. And because I'm a late bloomer, I also think, too, like, 
I'm not just some 21 year old and not to say no, no disrespect to the 21 year old oh, out yeah, there, but yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. like I've lived a little bit uh, so I can kind of envision like, okay, I think this is what it's going to be like this job. Mm hmm. At the same time, I ended up getting a front row seat to all the stuff that I'd have to testify to, which means I spent a lot of time in court, which means I testified a lot, which means I saw a lot of cases go before me. And tragically, it took me, I don't know, almost seven years to pay attention Wow! to my last case where, or my last, my last year where I'm like, this is messed up. Well, speaking on that, so I think this is interesting. And I think people, I mean, right now, you know, in the news, a lot of it is cops and, you know, blue lives matter, all lives matter. You know, we I was on vacation this last summer and, you know, I passed several businesses who we were in South Dakota that had, you know, signs that we support our law enforcement, all lives matter, blue lives matter. Now we got, you know, so I'd like to get into that a little bit because... I tell you you're gonna fire me up at some point. Oh uh, no, no, no! I just I, this is good because exactly I want you fired up, man. That's that's the thing because so we're at now we're we got people on one side that say okay, look, you know, cops don't kill black people. There are more black people killing you know themselves rather than you know than white police officers. Can you talk a little bit then what? Because you're not in law enforcement anymore right now, and right there's been some things. So I'd like kind of walk through some of those things, particularly a lot of the things that the public doesn't understand as it relates to how a white person gets charged and dealt with, how a black person gets mm. dealt with. I know we went to lunch one time and you were kicking some knowledge about, okay, this person's <laughs> going to go up for this. This person's not going to go up for this. We're going to give this person a deal. How does race play a factor into that? I know I'm asking a whole bunch, but hopefully that makes sense. It, it, it does kind of make sense. Um, there's a few things. One, I get frustrated at the term black or not black. That let me recant that piece. No, I'm with I you. do I'm not with get you. frustrated at that you. piece. I get frustrated at the blue lives matter piece. Um Yeah, I get frustrated at that. That's a chosen profession. Understanding too that it is a necessary profession. Understanding too that it is a voluntary profession. Yeah. You should know what you got yourself into. That mm -hmm. isn't. That's not a shot on them. That's not to be disrespectful towards them. That's just to say, like for instance, uh, they oftentimes I've been like, you know, I, I work in a war zone. I I protect the very freedom of this and that. And then that's why I say like, I don't know what it is to be a cop. I can tell you right now, I know what it is to be a marine, and I volunteered for that. So am I going to get mad if I get deployed at a place and suddenly someone's not being nice? No, I signed up for that. Hmm. So why is it that your life now is this banner that you, your life matters? Yes, it does matter. But let's not get this mixed up. You signed up for that. Hmm. Did you think that you were going to be dealing with people on their best day? No, you're, you are holding people accountable. Speaking from experience, I don't want to be held accountable. I want to do what I want to do. But you're <laughs> going to put somebody in front of me that's going to be like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, it's going to ruin my day. Mm-hmm. So, also, I think it's interesting that, like, you talked about, well, one of the things that I see happening is that when you, there's this sort of tit-for-tat show that you play, like, okay, um, you know, I have friends that will say, like, uh, they're, they're, they're killing our community, uh, the black community, and then the cops will say, well, there's race riots and, and, and you guys don't care about authority and and, right. and respect that. Yeah. And then then there's this sort of pushing match that doesn't really go anywhere. And then eventually the card gets played. Blue lives matter. And then out of, out of blue, to me it seems like a cheap shot. Like, well, what about black on black crime? Yeah. Yeah, that, no, that comes up a lot. Comes up a lot. I had a conversation about What's that. What's that have to do with anything? <laughs> how is yeah. that we're talking about the, like it's it's one of the lowest forms of maslov's hierarchy i believe is just survive so i don't really think that it's a matter of like well you guys no everybody wants to be protected i think that's i think most people just want to do that so i don't really understand how it comes across that when we're talking about relationships mm -hmm. that you're going to throw on something one as a white person i don't know what that's gonna i know what it is to to be me but i don't know what it's like in that regard 
And I also don't hear when I hear of, of people, specifically white people, talk about it is, uh, well, where's white crime? Where's white on white crime? Yeah. There's like, none of that. It's just crime. But suddenly when it's black people, it's black on black crime. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No, these things get racialized. So that's that's that piece. As far as like any cases, like I'll tell you, there was a guy uh, last case that I ended up going on mm-hmm. um, waiting to testify. There was a guy that came up for 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 like a. Uh, <clears throat> sorry about that. That's all right. A gram of coke. Which, OK, uh, I believe around here, at least that time was like 200 bucks. Um, They got him on, on manufactured delivery. Um, of cocaine. I'm like, okay, well, 200 bucks of cocaine for a heavy cocaine user. I think that's probably a, just a really, really good weekend or bad weekend. I don't really know what you want mm-hmm. to consider. But you ain't chopping that up for a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got that going. Um, they held him. It was a bond, bond hearing to see if they get it reduced. They held, they were holding him um, for that gram, in my opinion, personal usage, which was um, manufactured livery. Uh, for $150,000, of which he had to post 10% to get out. Um, they denied him of that, and when asked, like, so $150,000 is, is, is a pretty big chunk of change, and for which seems like not really that great of a felony. Yeah, okay. He didn't, he didn't get it. 14 years prior, he had a gun charge, and he's a black man. So I don't... That's the part of the criminal justice system I don't understand. I don't mean that in like I genuinely don't understand that. If 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 I'm getting bond based off of some history like or if it's just for that charge. Mm-hmm. Why is it $150,000? Okay. For personal usage. Next case up is a white guy, it was a uh, an older dude. It was criminal sexual assault. Um two separate cases. Victims were 8 and 11 years old. Um $100,000 bond, so a violent crime versus what could arguably be a nonviolent crime. $100,000 bond got reduced to 75000 of which he posted and went home. After doing a little bit of homework on my end, victims were the neighbors. Oh, okay. Okay. So to me, when I looked at that, granted that's two only two cases, to me it says like, okay, there's there's two systems at play here. Yeah. Um, bonds for now I'm across myself up. I told you I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> black on black crime. Yeah. When it's a black victim and a black perpetrator of of a crime, the bond is is lower. If a white person is the hmm. perpetrator against a black person being the victim, bond yeah. is lower. White on white. Violent crime, mm-hmm. higher bond rate. Black on white, higher bond rate. Which to me is an unspoken piece of white life means more than black life. If you're going to place a higher bounty on the perpetrator of the crime based off of the skin color of the victim. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To me, I say... You are you are putting a pri- a literal price tag on life based off of skin color. And talk a little bit more than about that. So let's say, all right. So let's say a uh, a young brother, young, young black man. He is he gets caught up for you know stole something at the store, mm-hmm. got caught. Um, he's eighteen now. Um, gets you know gets brought into the judge. I mean, what's what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to him as he as he as he goes up? Let's say he has two priors. Let's say he has some stuff that you know went on, whether it's maybe an assault charge or or, or something like that. What's what's going to happen as as he goes up? He doesn't have the money for for a lawyer either. I mean, right. so he's got to look, you know look to a public defendant. There's some interesting things like there's so many different things that I got to see sitting in the jury box waiting to go up to testify or do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so when probation officers or cops or things like that go to court and they have to testify, oftentimes, at least in our county, they would sit in the jury box. It isn't to say that there's a jury. that That's just where they sit. Okay. So that would be where I would be front row audience to stuff. So what I saw happen was that... Um, you you'd see some stuff you'd see like there's nothing that goes on at the bench mm-hmm. that isn't known 
by almost all parties, with mm. the exception of the judge. And the judge is basically there to kind of, in my opinion, again, <laughs> give you sort of that look like, did you guys talk about this? Because if you guys talked about it, and assuming it's all good, uh-huh. I'll just agree to it because you guys got that taken care of. So what that means is, is that everything's negotiated and it's done <laughs> so off the record. Now, I will tell you this. This is a real story. I'm not going to mention anybody's name. Okay. All right. Judge goes, does their thing, and eventually they're going to get off uh, and go for a recess to do whatever judges do. It's going to be 15 minutes. It could be half hour. It could be longer. But nonetheless, judge is going to do what a judge does. It's at that point that you end up having attorneys talk. It's To me, it's very much a business. And by business, I mean it's done through relationship. Okay. So in this particular case, I'm going to be the defense attorney. Uh-huh. In a real-life situation, you can be the state on this one. Okay. All right. I'm going to come to be like, um, I'm going to address you uh, commonly, if that's okay. Yes. Uh, hey, Dan, what's good? How, how, how was your weekend? Um, and you're going to, you know, you, you'll answer the question, and I'll be like, man, you know, I'll, I'll come up with some some stuff that I know about you that I think that we'd find some interest in. And then eventually I'm going to segue in and try to be sneaky about it and be like, mm -hmm. come on, you know, you got a bullshit case, right? <laughs> and you're going to laugh and we're going to have sort of this politely adversarial uh, conversation. And you're going to be yeah, like, if yeah. it was that bullshit, then why am I sitting here right now? I got your boy right now. And I could get into giving him like four years. Yeah. And you, and I would say like, if you had that, then why haven't you moved on it? Or there, there would be this just sort of this jousting thing that goes on. <laughs> You're going to offer me the high. I'm going to take you on the low and say, I want uh, conditional discharge. You're going to be like, no way I'm giving you conditional discharge. It's a form of quote-unquote punishment. You're At some point, we're going to probably try to hammer this out. And then my last play that I heard, this is real life, I'm going to say, this is off bench. Judges at recess, right? Just me and you talking. Yeah. All right. It's a DUI. You give me this one. I'll, whoever comes in next, you got him. You do what you need to do. <laughs> I tried knocking the current. No, no, no. That's how powerful this is. So... So wait, in so other words, that poor jackass that ends up drinking and driving the next time, and I represent him, and yeah. if you've got a good memory, you're going to be like, I got that guy, remember? He's mine. I got to give him to you. Now, I'm probably going to lie about it and be like, no, that isn't what I meant or whatever, but that happened. That, that actually happened. I know the guy's name, first and last. I know the attorney he was talking to, and basically, hmm. that DUI got played out however the defense attorney wanted it. Mm -hmm. And then the next guy that came in, if he comes in, that guy's going to catch a ride. Yeah, poor bastard. Right. What Man. That's your criminal justice system right there. That's, so this, that's one version. Now, there's, there's a ton of versions like that. I didn't answer your question, though. To your point, uh -huh. a guy catches a couple charges as a young man. Um, that can go a few different ways. In all honesty, the, the, the public defenders that were there at the, the account, this is going to hurt a lot of feelings. I'd have trusted them a lot more. Ba if, if criminal justice system is based off of relationship yeah. in this county, I would have much rather taken a public defender than I would possibly a paid attorney. Wow. Based off of the relationships that they had, specifically in one courtroom. Man. Right. but this, and that's And I think that's the... Right, that's the gist of all this. It's like this is this is one courtroom, but it's like this seems to be being duplicated in other places of the country as well. Right, because I this I don't I don't want to be that arrogant, but I feel like if I speak in general, then you again end up getting a lot of hate mail, being like that guy wasn't speaking forever. Okay, that's what I'm saying, baby. That's that's just my county. That's just the county I was in. Okay, right. And right, you're not gonna right. rob me of that. I know what I saw. I know what I heard. No, I no, absolutely, no, absolutely. Um. So, Michelle Alexander puts out a book, you know, New Jim Crow. Mm. Most people, I imagine most people listening to this, they, they have either read it or heard about it. Mm. There is a, especially now with 45 in office, is a, a pushback that says, yeah, that's, that's not really true. 
that's not really that's now that's not the case at all i mean prior to 45 taking office there was this kind of movement to say okay let's quote-unquote prison reform but but what does that look like i mean i know you've read the, the the book and what has gotten you to this place what got you to the point of saying i no longer want to be in law enforcement you were at one point i want to be in law enforcement and and this is you know like you said saving stuff right <laughs> you know what i'm saying and now you're in a different plot what can you walk us a little bit through through that particularly for some of the listeners who who may still be on the fence, who still believe like, no, it's like law and order. It works out that way. Like the bad guys are in prison. I remember I used to take uh, a class, I say this because I used to take classes to prison and almost every single time the, um, you know, the, the, the guard giving us a tour would say, don't feel sorry for these people in here because each one of them is a perpetrator and they have a victim behind them. Yeah. So I know that's two yeah. different, different questions there, but I'd love for just... That breaks like, my heart. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, and that's gonna make that, that would make a like, like you said, the correctional officer, or the correctional guard, or the or the copy like that shouldn't break your heart. They asked for that, right, right, exactly. I mean, it's just kind of our right. They they should have made better decisions on an equal and equitable playing field. Sure, it ain't equal. It ain't equitable. <laughs> so. To me, what ended up... So, I was on that trajectory to want to become a cop, to whether that was federal or whatever. That was the case. Uh, through some life circumstances that I created that created a ton of pain, uh, that was a moving point for me in 2009. Okay. Even still, I was still doing the job in 2012 when Trayvon was killed. Mm-hmm. And that that case, even though it didn't involve law enforcement per se, um, I hallmark that as sort of the the head snap for me. Okay, Trayvon. Trayvon. Okay. So 2009, I started this. 2012, three years later, mm-hmm. Trayvon happens, and I'm like, that doesn't feel right. Hmm. Um, up until that point, you know, no pun intended, I viewed kind of things black and white. I, I viewed it just like you said, like, you want to go to jail? Don't do bad stuff. You want to live? Comply. You fill in the blank. So 2009 happens. I try to destroy my life. Uh, I do a pretty good job of it. Um, and that to me was the, that to me was the opening to receive new information. Mm. 2012 happens. I receive information, but I'm not really sure what to do with it because for my lifetime, I've spent it thinking one way. So tragically, it took me up until 2016, despite Trayvon happened four years prior to that. Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Sandra, like fill in the blank. There's so many cases right. that you could go into. Right. And I'm like, I, I can't. I can't do that. And so then it started happening for me where I'm like, okay, the case comes up, 14 or 15-year-old kid, uh, gang-affiliated, gets popped for, for robbery or gets something, gets something bad, right? Yeah. Kid should go to jail, right? Gangbanger. Yeah. Did bad. Violent crime. You should go. This is the part where I feel like I lose some law enforcement because they're like, oh, you should go to jail. He has to go to jail. He's done something. Okay, I'm not saying... But let's put it in context. Let's say he's 14 or 15 years old. Mm -hmm. What's up? What's going on? I'm not saying we have to have a touchy-feely conversation, but just give me some context. Well, all right. What if that kid was uh, gangbanging? That's true. Mom's an addict. Mom's a whore. Literally. She's a prostitute. Dad's in prison. The only way that kid's going to end up making any kind of money at all to feed his 11-year-old brother, mm-hmm. at least in his mind, mm-hmm. the best way to do it is through doing whatever the gang tells him to do. I'm not glorifying it. I'm not giving it a pass. But that's the context. It, to me, is no longer a black and white issue. Okay. To me, it's a matter of kids surviving and he's using his own head. And it's a horrible decision. But what if we could do do something about that right right so to me it's not just an issue of like 
committed a felony, goes to jail. No, the reason why he did it is because his 14 or 15-year-old brain said this is the best path, didn't have guidance one way or the other, doesn't know really to choose it. Mm-hmm. Now, should he be held accountable? And this is where I want to speak to Lump. Yes, he should be held accountable. But couldn't there be different ways to do that? That satisfy the victim, but also... And that creates sort of a progressive liberal, like, oh, you just want to hold their hand. Yeah. Okay, well, let me tell you this. What if I were to tell you that a six-year sentence in prison that you think is going to be okay actually turns out or could turn out to be about three or six months in prison? Hmm. Suddenly your view, or at least my view, of what could be, you know, he deserves to go to jail, we deserve to be safe, great, he's getting six years. What if I told you that's three or six months? Does that do anything for your view of what justice looks like and safety? And what, what, what brings up the three or six months? What's, what is that? Particularly for folks who are just like, what? I, I don't get it. Okay, so the math breaks down like this. Uh, you end up on, you know, class, class three or class two felony. So class three isn't as bad as a class two felony. Mm-hmm. You end up with a sentencing range of three to six years in DOC, Department of Corrections. I end up being the bad guy on this one. I can't post bond. Continue the case. Continue the case. Continue the case. I'm sitting in jail that whole time. I had a guy that sat in, in, in county for the better part of over a year and a half. Okay. Yeah, and I've, and I've heard in, in Cook County there's some people in the 12, 10, 11, 12 years right. just waiting. All that time mm-hmm. goes towards prison. At least it does, in the county that I worked for, more often yeah. than not, especially yeah. for the sentencings to which I had to testify, all that time counted towards your prison time. So, you got six years. Say they hit you with the heavy on that one. or like, gavel bangs if they, they don't even use those anymore. Uh, you're guilty. You're doing six years DOC. All right. You spent two years in prison, or in jail, waiting for this case to come up. That's two years against your six. Okay, so... I'm going to do some fun with math here. The six years oftentimes can be translated into 50% of that. So I'm going to give you six years, but you're only going to do day-for-day credit. Now it's down to three years. Got that so far? Okay. All right. You just did two in jail waiting for your case. That leaves you only one more because that two years counts towards the six, which has been reduced to three. Now you only have 12 months left that you have to do. In prison. Okay. Actual DOC sentence. Hmm. So now you have a year that you have to do. My guess is you play your cards right, you could be out of there in six to nine months. So your six-year sentence just turned into three, six, nine. I, I don't know how the parole thing ends up working out or how they parole people out. But that's how it works out. In the meantime, though, the newspaper can put down that Mark Skiles ended up getting sentenced to six years Department of Corrections. Still true, but the reality of it is, I didn't. I got processed. I hung out there for a little while, and then I rolled out. Hmm. So this perception of justice and this perception yeah. of yeah, hey, we're, we're making the community safer. Yeah. First of all, I don't really agree with the, the term corrections because there's no correcting that goes on in corrections. That's spoken from people that have been convicted and spent time in there. Mm-hmm. They don't correct you. There's no correction offered because I think if it did, it would come in the form of education. It would come in the form of uh, mental health. It would come in the form of substance abuse treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're just released the same person that you were. Hmm. But people think you're safer. And in the meantime, you just got the same guy. Oh, man. I mean, it... I don't have a short answer for you, and I'm sorry. No, this that. is and this is exactly I mean, I think this is exactly why I wanted to have you on because it problematizes a lot of different things. It problematizes race. It problematizes the the public's view, which has long been that criminals should get what they deserve. Criminals um are are, are they they made that choice. They 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 and so we shouldn't necessarily feel sorry for them. And these long term, you know, prison sentences were Yeah. Can I speak to that? It's, please. Okay. Please. So this is yes. one of the funny things that gets me in trouble sometimes. Okay, that's all right. Uh, do people get what they deserve? I think that you can look at this two different ways for the same answer. Okay. For the people that I feel like that I kind of fall in that group, which was sort of, 
I feel like that's really Christian-y, and I don't really want to go down that route. But oh, that's all right. Come in on. the route of, like, <laughs> uh, a recovering no contrast in color, crime equals sentence. Yeah. All right, fine. Um, to me, what it turns into is, all right, you have two options here. For the guy that got sentenced to six years and actually gets out in three or six months, you can say whatever you want to. Uh, that's actually probably a bad example. But for the guy that's got to spend some time in there, inevitably, there are very few people that mm-hmm. are getting out or that, that are staying in for life without parole. Okay. And somebody can fact check this. I'm not even sure I'm 100% right, but I think conservatively, yearly, you're getting about 630,000 released people, returning citizens, formerly incarcerated, for those that really like that term, ex-cons. But at the end of the day, I think returning citizens is probably the best term. People are getting out. You got whole cities being released. So you can either fall in line (laughs) with this. You can either fall in line with get them the help people need for the sake of that I think it's the right thing to do. And if you don't like that approach, which a lot of, they deserve justice. Yeah. Well, let, let, me, let me paint it a different way. Strategically thinking, do you think it would be better if you got whole cities being released from prison mm-hmm. and people do not spend life in, without parole? Very rarely. If you've got that guy coming out, you can either say, I think it's the right thing to do, which is the camp that I that I would like to fall into. Okay. Or you could fall in the other camp that says strategically, if I know that somebody's coming out and I'm going to be neighbors with them, do I want someone that has been taught something different with the opportunity to change? And to me, that's the selling point. You either fall in the camp of... I'm I'm sure I'm missing this or short-sighted, but those are the two camps that I see. Hmm. You either you either help somebody because you hopefully think it's the right thing to do, or you do it from a selfish standpoint or a self-preservation standpoint. That if I'm going to be neighbors with him or her, yeah, that they are a different person when they get out, so that my family is safe. Pick one, but at the end of the day, people ain't staying in prison, so you get to choose one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. So this is good, man. This is good. I love it. I love it. So in the remaining time, I want to talk about something that keeps coming up, particularly. I mean, so as a white male, he's been in the Marines, been around the block. Um, there's this, you know, one of the things that officers, particularly white male police officers use, and for that matter, whites in general use, is like, man, I want to feel safe. The safetyization um, of our country. I feel entitled to be safe. And granted, I want to be safe. I want my daughter to be safe. I want my family to be safe. I want my friends and family to be safe. So I'm not knocking feeling safe. But when a police officer uses that as justification then to shoot, I felt unsafe. I felt threatened. My life was threatened. Um, You know, I talked with somebody the other day and said, you know, if a police officer feels that their life is threatened, they should take that person out. They should kill that person if that that person is going to kill them. I'm referring particularly to Mike Brown, which kind of set in motion Mm. the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, you know, and the debate that says, well, the officer was justified in, in shooting Mike Brown. I mean, he he was coming at him. He was grabbing. Him. I mean, I have the whole I recorded the whole. Well, it's on YouTube, but then it's the whole interview. Right. With um, uh, was it Darren Wilson, mm-hmm. you know, who, uh, who 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 killed him. Um, you know, he talks about him coming at him like a demon and he comes at him. In fact, it's one of the little sound clips that I have at the beginning of profane phase. Like the guy was like a demon. Right. And so. I mean, and there's so much wrapped up in that statement, but I am curious, like, from your perspective, I mean, how is that, I mean, how do we even engage something like that when an officer is already saying, hey, I, I feel I feel threatened, therefore I'm going to pull my sidearm out and shoot this person. Talk, talk, talk a little bit through that, and particularly for the folks who are just kind of like, I still don't get it, like, you know, what, you know, like, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> so... <clears throat> There again. Yeah, it's all good. For reiteration's sake, I'm not a cop. I don't I don't understand that world with regards to report writing and how you have to justify it. My understanding from uh some close friends, like literal friends, like we talk all the time, uh 
we hang out with each other's families, things of that nature. At least we did when he lived here. I'm speaking of a, a friend of mine out in Oregon. I think he's got a rational head on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about articulation. That's what I've come to learn. If I can articulate it, then I, I should be okay. If any law enforcement officer of any variety happens to be listening to this and would like to, great, chime in. I'm just going off of, I don't know how to bridge that if all it takes for me is to be able to rationalize uh, why I shot somebody. I'll, I'll dip into a little comic here. Uh, <laughs> I forgot the bad guy in uh, Batman, but Scarecrow goes and visits him. Um, <laughs> and he feigns this sort of like, yeah, Doc, I don't really know what's going on. I feel depressed. I feel suicidal. But it was basically just to get a, a an insanity plea, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the Scarecrow yeah. was there. Yeah. The Scarecrow? Or was it the Joker? Or no. No, it was the Scarecrow was because the he was I in there. The and, I missed that one. No, I, be- I believe it was the first one. Okay. I, mean, I, I forget the... Yeah, it, I have rabbit trailed like hell on that one. But the the <laughs> the, the, the point that I'm making is is that that guy knew what to say mm-hmm. and didn't even mix any bones at all about it as to there was no conviction or belief. It was like, yep, I feel bad. I always feel sad. Uh, I'm thinking about taking my life. Uh, I hear pots and kettles talking to me to get an insanity plea. And so to me... I feel like, um, I feel like that there are, are 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 phrases that are common. Yeah, right. In that language, that lend itself towards a. Uh, I, I see what's going on here. Right. There's a guy that uh, I'm not trying to give shout outs, but I'm going to give him a shout out anyways. Uh, his name is Ken Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, he's a contact of mine um, through LinkedIn. He's a he just posts a lot of really fascinating things specifically to what you're talking about, about okay. uh, phrases that are used. He's a former uh, homicide detective in Boston. And uh, you ain't got to like him, but you, it, he has a lot of thought-compelling thoughts around that. Okay. And is a whistleblower okay. to, to that effect. All right. Um, so when I hear phrases like that, I... I I just wonder if there was a better way. Now the cops are going to be like, what if I were to put you in that situation and you only have a split second? You're right. I'm not judging you. But everyone wants to go home. If, if that's the end of the day, everyone wants to go home. I don't. But and, and, and my other argument to that would be is I don't think it's true. Say Mike Brown did what he said he did, what, what Darren Wilson said he did. Say... Say out of all the cases right now that are ongoing where there has been a black person that was shot by a white cop, you're telling me every last one of those cases, every one of them, (laughs) the black man or woman deserved to die. You're telling me that every one of those are good kills. Uh, That sounds really crude, but righteous kills. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're telling me right now is that every last one of them deserve to die. Right. I think statistically speaking, although I can't prove it, I think you'd be hard-pressed to prove that. I don't think that you would be able to say, yep, every last one of them deserve to die, which lends itself to, okay, how come they are then? How come they're being murdered? And then the question is, is why isn't anybody being charged? Not convicted, charged. Freddie Gray just ended up happening. If, if I recall correctly, this happened yesterday. DOJ said that they are not going to charge charge mm-hmm. the six officers involved in the, in the Freddie Gray murder. Yes, right. Yeah. No charge. Nothing levied against them that says you will be held accountable for it. It's just, nope, Freddie Gray is dead. He killed himself. That's it. In the back <laughs> of a, a paddy wagon. Right, right. Uh, and that's why I'm saying Let's say that that's true. What about the 500 other cases or 600 or whatever cases you're saying mm-hmm. every last one of them deserved? No. There's a different, there's a different set of rules for different people. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. Man, brother. 
Well, you've given us a lot. You've given me a lot to think about. I mean, this is uh, this is an ongoing conversation. I mean, this is uh, I hope to have you back on um, for those of you out there listening. I mean, I know Mark is trying to start his own podcast and trying to get out. What are you what are you up to now? Where can people find you? What are some hopes and dreams moving forward? What do you what do you want to do? How do you want to impact? What is the calling on your life? Uh, the calling <laughs> on my life. Yes, sir. Uh, that that uh, that late bloomer thing is still hitting me. I still haven't, f- uh, you know, I put all my eggs in that one basket of <laughs> of being a, some form of law enforcement officer. Uh, what's true is that that front row seat to both the outside world in the form of working with law enforcement officers along with that inside world of seeing the inner workings of how the justice system works and how it works in two different forms, or at least that's my opinion, Mm -hmm. has lent itself towards me changing the whole demographic of people with whom I want to connect. I'm on LinkedIn. That's the only social media I have. That's all right. I'll put Uh, that up. I'll put those in the show notes. And um, whereas before I, I basically sought law enforcement or or jail or, or prison. I choose people now that are an advocate. It's not to say that I wouldn't choose other people, but yeah, I've, I, I surrounded myself with people that are like-minded. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to challenge you on that. No one's going to ask hard questions because they're all on the same quote unquote team at that point. So I, I, I met somebody, uh, it sounds weird, but I connected with somebody on LinkedIn. His name's Nathaniel Evans. Mm-hmm. Dude blew my mind straight up. Um, he's got an interesting story. I'm going to let him tell it, but he is almost single-handedly based off of phone conversations that we've had for, I don't know the the exact amount of time. I'll say nine to 12 months. That could be, I think that's accurate. He's the one that, that is almost responsible for, you may want to consider how things are ran. (laughs) Yeah. And you can also find him and he's doing his own thing. And so what I want to do is I don't know how to do it, but I'd like to get paid. Yeah. To advocate against police brutality, against mass incarceration and against racial injustice. And I think it best is done through conversations, but with people that are open minded. You want to get salty about it? That's fine. Bring your saltiness, but bring the open mind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and that would be how I would want to spend my time at this point. Uh, that's how I, that's how I'd want to do it. So as far as next stuff, I don't know what that looks like. Um, whether that's me starting my own thing, whether that's me and my friend Nathaniel, uh, I, I think that's what I'd like to do. Hmm. That's is, what's is up. Advocate in that direction. Yeah. Well, we need it. We need it. Isn't everyone need it? Ever more than now. I mean, never more than now. It's like we, we need it. We're in a we're in a rough spot, just uh, socially speaking, culturally speaking. But Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about these things. We're gonna have you on again. You were also actually uh, quite a big piece of that when I got to take your one class oh, at one man. time, yeah, 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 and when yeah. we first got to hook <laughs> yeah, up and, yeah, yeah. and whatnot. So I'm I'm grateful to be sitting here with you oh brother well thank you man i'm I, i'm honored as well and like i said that's why we wanted to get you at least on the show once and like i said we'll work on getting you again next time can we have it be more dialogue as opposed to monologue Mon- no it was dialogue this is good bullshit <laughs> you know you asked me like four questions i talked for the remaining however that's long. good that's good i'm sure people are loving it um well those of you listening hey um you know, listen listen chime in we got the comment section we're on itunes subscribe we're on Stitcher, Google, all the places you find your podcast, uh, whitehotpodcast.com. You just forget that. Um, chime in. We want to hear what you have to say as well. And um, this is an ongoing conversation, and, and it, it is very complex and very problematized on many levels. But, Mark, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. All right, brother. No matter how long ago that felony may have occurred, months ago, weeks ago, or 35 years ago, For the rest of your life, you've got to check that box, knowing full well your application's going straight to the trash. Housing discrimination perfectly legal by public landlords and private housing landlords and officials. Public benefits are off limits to people 
who have been convicted of felonies, like food stamps. Under federal law, you can't even get food stamps if you've been convicted of a felony. What are people released from prison supposed to do? Can't get a job, barred from public housing, private housing, even food stamps may be off limits to you? Well, apparently what we expect them to do is to pay hundreds or thousands of dollars in fees, fines, court costs, accumulated back child support. And paying back all these fees, fines, and court costs can be a condition of your probation or parole. And then get this, if you're one of the lucky few who actually manages to get a job following release from prison, up to 100% of your wages can be garnished to pay back all those fees, fines, court costs, and accumulated back child support. What do we expect folks released from prison to do? I say when we take a step back and view this system as a whole, how it operates practically from cradle to grave in some communities, you have to ask yourself, what does it seem designed to do?